welcome to Flop Pod! Yay! Yay! So a friend of ours, Jason Sellers, does a Christmas party every every year down in the gut. And it's the Chris Moose Christmas party where um, there is moose stew on and people show up and they have drinks. Um, and it's usually centered around the Kitty Bitty Christmas, uh, Christmas tree lighting ceremony. It's a ton of fun. Uh, and this past year, I had met up with a friend of mine down at the ship for a couple drinks before we went. And then we went. Uh, and I had a couple more drinks sent to Jason's. And Jason lives down in the gut. And the gut is like, it's like the Bay of St. John's. Um, if you're if you're walking it, it's it's a good about a good like twenty minutes, half an hour walk from Jason's place to where my apartment is by Rollins Cross. Um, and it was really cold, like it was really really cold. And I started walking, and I started walking, and I kept walking up the hill, and I'm walking along Forest Road, and it's really cold, like. Winter coat, hat, mitt, scarf, everything. It's really cold. And I knew that there were some people going to the party, some people coming from the party. So I thought, you know, if, if a car comes by that maybe looks familiar, I'm going to, you know, raise my hand up, see if they stop. And it's really cold. And I've had a few drinks, and it's really cold. And I get by the store going okay if i get to the store and nobody picks me up then i'm gonna call a cab and then i'll just get the cab from the store to my apartment great wonderful and i'm really close to the store and i turn around and i see these headlights coming towards me and i'm like all right that's it i'm doing it and i put my hand out and i just waved and i waved and then all of a sudden this car just like pulls up alongside of me and stops and the window rolls down and all i see is elizabeth going Mark? I'm like, hi, it's me. She's like, do you want to ride home? Okay, yeah, thanks. I'm just going to get in your car. And I just hopped in the back of our car. Um, and if you talk to Elizabeth Hicks about this, um, she will she will tell you that I was just overly thankful for the entire event. Just Oh my God, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh my God, thank you. I live over here. Thank you. Like right here is where I live. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you because right here, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Super, super, super grateful. Uh, and she got me home. And uh, this week, she's our guest on the Flop Pod. Elizabeth Hicks is a writer, actor, and filmmaker originally from Carbonaire. She recently completed a master's degree in English and holds a diploma in performance and communications media from Memorial University. Elizabeth has appeared at Chicago Sketchfest, New York City Sketchfest, and the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival. Her work has been featured in St. John's Shorts, the St. John's International Women's Film Festival, and the Women's Work Festival. She's a founding member of the sketch comedy group Moms Girls, but most importantly, she is a nationally recognized table tennis player. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you, Mark, for having me. What did, so you wrote my bio for me. 
Yeah. How did you, did you create my Facebook? <laughs> I, I went, I'd like to do a good like deep dive of like 10 of your Google searches and can pause it. So actually what I do, I, people hate doing their own bios and people hate sending their bios in. Um, and uh, so what I did is I went down through all your bios that are posted in your various theater jobs and everything's a little bit different, right? For the, you tweak to the job. Um, and then I just compiled with all of the um, news articles about you. Um, so I just thought the table tennis thing was like so left field and something I didn't know about you uh, that I thought it was super fun. Can we talk about that table tennis for a second? Like, what is the story behind that? Sure. Okay. I have a couple things. We can talk about table tennis first. That is so <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I've been playing table tennis since uh, I was in the seventh grade. My dad bought a ping pong table when we um, moved into our new house in Carboneer. And, uh, and so I had been playing with him for many years. And then he started a, a club at my junior high school. He was like the coach. And then they got a grant to buy a bunch of new table tennis tables. And um, yeah, so I was playing there and I was playing with my dad. It was basically, you know, just something that we did together. And then, uh, and then I started going to tournaments like in St. John's. And I was pretty good by Newfoundland standards, I guess. Uh, and there also weren't a whole lot of like 13-year-old girls playing table tennis. So like... Anyway, uh, things started getting a little bit more serious. My dad bought this like table tennis robot in our basement. So I would train with the robot, <laughs> which is cool looking back on it. At the time I was like, dad, I don't want to practice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so uh, I started like winning like provincial tournaments and then the Canada games came around uh, in 2011. And so I went to, uh, Atlantics uh, in Halifax, Nationals in Calgary, and then uh, the North, North American Team Championships in Baltimore, Maryland. And then I went to the Canada Games, uh, which were also in Halifax. And uh, it was an amazing experience, but uh, I got bullied for playing table tennis <laughs> in high school. Uh, yeah, that's my story about table tennis. Can you tell us about your flop? <laughs> yes. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I was kind of debating what I should tell you guys about because, you know, I feel like I have had, I've been, I've had some flops, I've been a part of some flops recently, and I was, um, you know, debating what I should talk about. And since we're talking about table tennis, I'm like, maybe I should tell you a table tennis flop, but I guess that's not what this podcast is about. Um, <laughs> so last summer I came out, well, I'm here right now at Rising Tide, and uh, I, I came out here early to help write uh, a sketch comedy show uh, called Friday Night Bite, and uh, it was a group of us, uh, you know, frequent collaborators, all, all part of the Half Handsome uh, name. Uh, and so we came out here to write this show uh, for two weeks, and then the show was going to happen in the summer, and some of us who were going to stay out here as actors were going to be in it. And uh, it ended up uh, really not going as we had planned, as, as how anyone had planned, for a variety of reasons, which we have talked about a lot, and everyone knows that it really wasn't 
a success. It didn't really do what it set out to do. What we were trying to do was create a comedy show for a, an audience out here in Trinity. Uh, uh, and we were trying to draw uh, younger Newfoundlanders out to the theater uh, because a lot of people are coming out this way to go to the brewery, to hike the Skirwing, you know, lots of stuff going on in Bonavista. And like, we really want it and want Rising Tide to be a part of that, uh, you know, influx of people to the Bonavista Peninsula. So we we're like, we're going to write this really funny comedy show for uh, sort of for young people. Um, but the issue was that like not a lot of young people showed up. And so the people that did come, uh, we didn't really write the right kind of material, but there was no real way to know that until we did it. And, uh, and so we were rehearsing and it was a limited rehearsal period and we had a big cast and, uh, and something that I've reflected on since then is that like, I think that sketch comedy the audience really wants to see the same group of people do a lot of different things, like play a lot of different characters. And the way that we had set up this show, we had a large cast. And so you didn't really see uh, like what the performers could do maybe because uh, like there were some people that were only in a few scenes and really maybe we should have had less people playing more characters. Uh, but you know, again, that's just a hypothesis. Who knows what, if that would have made a difference or not. Uh, and so uh, we put it up the first night and like, you know, we were all having a good time. We got a decent reaction from the audience, but it wasn't really what we had hoped. And so we kind of changed the running order around to see if that would help, took things out, changed things, and it didn't really help. And uh, we kind of spent the whole summer messing with the show, changing the, the running order around and, and, uh, and taking stuff out and having different people play different roles. and. And none of it really did the trick. And we, we've all reflected on it a lot and talked about it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a variety of factors, I think, that contributed to it. Um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, I don't want to say that it was a total flop because it certainly wasn't. And we, we really had a lot of fun doing it. But as somebody who was a writer on it and then was in it, uh, it was difficult to see things that we had hoped uh, would really work, not really work. Uh, and I think it was maybe because we didn't have a good idea of who our audience was gonna be. And there are sketches that I know would go over really well, uh, well, I hope would go over really well uh, in St. John's or you know at a comedy festival, uh, but it wasn't the right audience here. And so uh, it's, the sketch is really difficult in that way because like every single scene uh, has the capability to either win over an entire audience or lose an entire audience. And every scene is so different. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky thing. And the, you know, the reaction is so immediate. You want laughter, you want like a woo or a oh, <laughs> because sometimes that's fun too. Uh, yeah, that, and you know, certainly I've got like some stories about certain sketches in other shows that have flopped. But uh, overall, that show was, was really tricky for everyone. And I think that we've learned a lot because we have talked about it so much, which is you know, why I feel comfortable <laughs> telling you guys about it. Uh, it was a learning experience, but, but difficult at the same time because we did it for an entire summer. What was your favorite sketch from that show? 
so my favorite sketch from that show, I don't, I don't mean to sound conceited, but it was one that I wrote. <laughs> and uh, and I, I actually, it was, it was someone else's idea, I think, but I, uh, I was the one that like wrote the sketch and it was uh, a spelling bee set uh, in a community on the Bonavista Peninsula. And there was a kid who had just moved from the mainland participating in the spelling bee. And he was like a top speller in his community. And then uh, he thought he was going to win. And then his word ended up being, uh, go on with you. <laughs> and so uh, I was playing the teacher and, and Zach Cross was playing the kid from the mainland. And, uh, you know, a couple other people playing the other students. And uh, yeah, it always went over really well. And uh, so I, I liked that one a lot. Uh, yeah, it was just, just fun. <laughs> I think that comedy is uh, the most difficult uh, medium. I think we've had conversations with with other people on the podcast, and it's kind of um, for me my nightmare is both comedy and improv. So, um, this although sketches are pre written, like sketch comedy is pretty much uh, my nightmare. I have a little bit of a, a two part kind of philosophical uh, question for you, and I'll just give you a little bit of background. So, like between. 2006 to 2014, um, I was partnered with a comedian. So I kind of exclusively only dated uh, comedians uh, for better or worse. So I have some insight into that process. And one of the things that kind of ran through my mind, uh, particularly um, if you're going into edgier uh, territory, which you're probably not at the Trinity Theater Festival so much, um, but you certainly are um, in Mom's Girls for sure, which is quite political, I think, um, in a fantastic way. Um, one of the questions I had is, whose story do you get to tell? And I think it's a larger question in the zeitgeist um, in this moment and this movement. Do you mean like, um, like thinking about telling the, uh, like the stories of like friends and like family members in your life? Uh, for sure, or even someone outside of uh, your personal experience, because I do think um, it, in performing arts in music, that is a question that has certainly been brought to the forefront very much in 2020 in a way it's never been presented before. But in comedy, you're kind of pulling um, examples from everywhere. You are very observational about the culture and sometimes you're speaking directly from your own experience, but often you are speaking from observation or like, oh, I know that kind of a person like oh yeah no my my girlfriend went through this or or you know like oh I've watched that happen a million times I'm just curious what you thought about it yeah it's a really difficult question <laughs> and uh and I don't think that I really have a clear answer for that but I guess I can say that uh just on principle that I and the my comedy collaborators always just try to uh, stay true to what we believe. Uh, you know, a, a good practice, I think, in, in sketch comedy that, that we all try to follow is that if you can't defend your reasoning for putting a sketch on the stage, then like you shouldn't be doing it because uh, you know, sketch comedy toes the line a lot. Yeah, it's a really difficult question, Lynn. <laughs>
No, no, it totally is a really difficult question. And it's something that I think we're all thinking about in our various art forms, but particularly because sketch comedy is um, pushing the boundary. Um, it's it's showing the, the mirror up to society a little bit. Um, it's using archetypes and stereotypes because you only have a limited amount of time to push your point forward. You know, you don't have like an HBO miniseries to kind of like, like work, work through it. It's, it's just the medium. So I'll move on to the second part of that question, which is, um, do the stories that you, Elizabeth Hicks, change uh, depending on what genre you're working in? I actually, I find it really difficult to reflect on my own creative writing because I've actually only been writing creatively uh, for a, like two and a half years, like almost three years. Uh, and so uh, the idea of like what kind of stories I want to tell or what kind of stories I am telling, uh, it's, it's a really difficult question for me to answer. And I guess, you know, I every story that I have told in theater or in sketch or in other types of writing up to this point has been, uh, you know, based on uh, my experience in, in my lived experience in some way or another. And, uh, and I think I and my collaborators were all being careful and thoughtful uh, and reflective about what kind of words we want to say on stage and what's appropriate and, and what kind of message you want to put out there uh, for other people to hear and remember and maybe hopefully talk about with their friends afterwards. Uh, because, you know, sketch comedy is, is all jokes and stuff, but it's really satire more than it's anything else. And so you have to make sure that you believe in the message behind the sketch. and. Fortunately, I think the people that I do sketch comedy with, everyone feels very passionately about putting a lot of time and effort into the writing process. And we don't really base uh, our sketch out of improv very much. Uh, and I think it's because most people have a, a theater background. And so things are written and kind of workshopped and then jokes are added in and it's discussed whether or not this is uh, funny, whether or not this is appropriate, whether or not this is really what we want to say with our show. And, uh, and, but I also think it's really important to like keep it lighthearted at the same time. Uh, you know, you can dive deep sometimes, but like people want to go to a comedy show to laugh. And I think sometimes like when you're trying to like make political commentary or like, you know, comment on things happening uh, in culture or things that you feel mad about, uh, you know, I, I think that you've got to keep in mind that uh, when people show up to a comedy show, they they want to they want to have a good time and laugh, and so it's really it's such a difficult balance, and it's like I was saying before, you, the reaction is so immediate uh, that it it's a stressful thing sometimes, and and your question is so valid, and it, that we have to be so conscious of of whose story we're telling. Uh, all the time, what words we're choosing and what messages we're sending out there. Uh, it's, it's a really difficult thing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting because I feel that sometimes, you know, sketch comedy and comedy itself 
is the most impactful and powerful form of, you know, voicing an opinion or, or getting a story out there because it does take people off their guard. Like everybody, everybody enjoys a good laugh, but if it's something that they're having a good laugh about and then they stop and go, Oh, wait a minute. And it makes them question something about themselves and about the world they live in. I think that like, it's incredibly powerful. Um, what, what's sort of the first thing that you've written creatively that uh that you kind of put out into the world hmm, good question so i started writing creatively uh when i started my masters i did a course with lisa moore in fiction and uh the piece that I was working on in that class, I guess, was never made public, but uh, I had to share it with all of my classmates. And so I think I consider that my first uh, piece of creative writing that I like shared with somebody. And, and it was really the first time that I had written creatively. I had tried before, but I uh, was afraid of failure and like I wanted to be better at it than I was. And so I couldn't even begin. But then when it was a course in school, I had to do it. And so that was really what <laughs> broke the seal for me, I guess. And then that winter, I did a course with Robert Chafe, a playwriting course, and a similar thing where, you know, I had to share my writing with my classmates. Uh, and then I started writing sketches, and then it kind of all uh, spiraled from there. And I submitted the play that I wrote in Robert's class to the Women's Work Festival, and so I workshopped it there. Uh, and I wrote a sh little short play that was at the Short Play Festival that same year. And, uh, yeah. D correct me if I'm wrong, but you wrote the 12 Angry Women piece? That's right. Yeah, 12 Nasty Women. Oh, my God. Over the past, like, four or five years, every time that I've gone to the theater, something has hit me. Because the work that has been produced has been... Uh, something that speaks about the times that we live in. Um, and it's usually been locally created. Uh, and it's two things that I very much value in theater these days. Um, and so I, I went to the Women's Work Festival. It's one of my favorite festivals in the entire province every year. I look forward to it all the time. I love it. Uh, and I just, I, I was just so mesmerized by the piece. And I, I just want to see it. <laughs> we loved it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it was a really exciting uh, piece of theater and a development. And special shout out to Sheila Reg Redmond's uh, performance. Uh, yeah. she, she was exceptional in the in the table read. I'm wondering, Elizabeth, just in case um, our listeners weren't in the room, it was like standing room only during that performance, and your cast was, you know, 12 humans um, uh, in the second space of the hall. I'm wondering if you, if you wouldn't mind giving just a brief uh, synopsis of the project. So it's a play about uh, 12 women, and the, the through line is that they're the jury for uh, a case uh, that is based on um, the Snellgrove case uh, that happened here in St. John's, I think it was three or four years ago now. Uh, and so that's, that's the through line. The situation is based on that 
event, uh, fictionalized, but uh, based on that. And that's the through line. We keep coming back to that jury. And uh, a lot of the text in that was, and you know, you've got, and they're all women, I guess I should say. Everyone is a, is a woman or is non-binary or identifies as a woman. Um, and so uh, there's like lots of back and forth about like guilty, not guilty. Anyway, uh, throughout the play, we see these different vignettes that are all thematically linked, but not necessarily uh, narratively linked. Uh, I'm still working on it right now. Uh, when it was at the Women's Work Festival, it was still a draft. Uh, I never intended for the jury to be the central part of the play, uh, which everyone that I've workshopped it with is like, the jury's the main part. We need to know more about the jury. We want to know more about their stories. Why are they saying the things they're saying? And I've like always thought, but it wasn't supposed to be about the jury. That was just supposed to be like a clothesline that all of the laundry was on. Uh, and so I've really had, I've been thinking about it now. It's been like two years of thinking about this play. Uh, but all of the uh, scenes in that play other than the jury scene and the exception of, of one other scene were based on experiences that happened to me growing up. Uh, and I guess like this, the theme, I think uh, when I was asked to describe it in a word, I said justice. It's also very much about misogyny and how we reconcile <laughs> the behavior of some people uh and it's it's local in a lot of ways and it's very very personal to me yeah it was personal to me and personal to a lot of people in the audience so i'm delighted to hear that it's still in process for you um and if i could if anyone is listening all i could say is just keep an an eye out for this project because it is fantastic um who are your mentors well, I've definitely, I definitely have to say that both Lisa Moore and, and Robert Chafe, because they were my professors in university that, that really introduced me to playwriting and have uh, fostered my career since, I guess. Uh, I, I very much appreciate both of them as like the kindest humans you'll ever meet. And also uh, people who were very supportive of me very early on and taught me a lot of of skills uh so definitely the two of them donna out here in trinity has been so so supportive of me uh since we met and uh you know it has been workshopping 12 nasty women uh we did a workshop in november and we're still uh in talks of doing some more work on it um, i'm very appreciative of her especially as as someone who does sketch comedy, I mean, the, the legacy of review uh, since 1984, I can tell you all about it because I've seen the archives now. Uh, it's, it's incredible, the, the, the commentary uh, that they've made on Newfoundland culture for so, so many years. And so I definitely look up to her. I mean, I, I've known Donna for years. Uh, and I completely agree, like, the... the, the I remember sitting in Donna's office, uh, just looking at her bulletin board one day, and I just started like flicking through the layers of stuff that was there, and I found a letter from, I think it was the Archbishop of Newfoundland, 
Uh, it was basically like a cease and uh, desist lever from review one year. And this was pre-Mount Cashel scandal. Um, it was this letter that said, oh, you know, you're, you're saying all this really nasty stuff about the Catholic Church. You know, this isn't true. This isn't true. And literally six months later, the Mount Cashel scandal broke. And like, I looked at Donna one day, I said, Donna, like, what, what, like, what did you do when, when you got this letter? She said, nothing. We just did the show. Like, what are we going to do? Like, not, not do the show? Like, okay, great. Uh, I mean, Donna has been a huge supporter of, of mine from like, on a professional level and on a personal level as well. Um, I remember that I had uh, gotten out of a relationship very abruptly. Uh, about a month before I was supposed to go to Trinity. Uh, and I was talking to Donna one day and she asked me how everything was going. And I basically told her that it wasn't going very well. And she said, do you want to come back to Trinity tomorrow? I'm like, sure. <laughs> like, so, you know, she, she, you know, she looks out for you beyond the, the, the work. She looks out for you as a person. Yeah, that's so and, true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a dream project or a dream role on your list? I don't have a dream role. I think that I would like to uh, have one of my plays that I've written uh, produced uh, by a theater company. That I, That's pretty vague. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a, a goal of mine, I guess. I, I I'm not really the, the kind of person who ever had a dream job. I just uh, want to succeed in the tasks that make me happy. Uh, and so right now I've been doing a lot of writing and uh, yeah, I, I think that that would be, I guess, a, a dream project of mine. Uh, and yeah, I guess also, I. Allison and Stephanie and Andy and I have really been working really hard. I submitted a lot of grants recently, and uh, and we've got a pretty exciting project coming up that hopefully, if if COVID allows, uh, we'll be able to announce that soon. But uh, you know, we've all been putting a lot of work into uh, our sketch troupe, and so I guess another like vague dream would be to uh, just do more work with them, and uh, you know hopefully get paid to do it <laughs> i know that it probably sounds so like sad but yeah that's where i'm at right now get paid for your work 100 percent. it's a dream we usually um end by asking if you have anything to promote it seems like maybe that the mom's girls thing is a little under wraps which is okay um so if you have something else to promote or if you have a recommendation something that you're watching that's really great something that you're reading that's awesome a piece of music is there anything that you can give us hmm it is a difficult time to promote the things because there's so little things happening but uh yeah, I think I would just say, like, look out for, for more stuff that Moms Girls is doing because we're working really hard. We released a, one little digital thing, and we're hoping to do more of that. But, yeah, we do have um, a, an exciting announcement coming up. And uh, I guess uh, there's if, if performances happen, you should 
come see the pageant in Trinity in August. <laughs> Who knows? That might happen. We'll see if the government allows it. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you both so much for having me. I, I'm honored to have been asked. You know where I would like to be right now? I would like to be in, uh, in Trinity. In Trinity, Trinity Bay, Newfoundland. Do you know who's in Trinity, Trinity Bay, Newfoundland? You know, Mark, I, I don't. Elizabeth Hicks oh, is man. in Trinity, Trinity Bay. What a right stellar now. and an angel that Elizabeth Hicks. Absolutely wonderful. None of these intros are going to work, but I'm going to splice them together and make it happen. <laughs> and it's going to be great. <laughs> Let's wait for you to mute it. <laughs> yes. Except you didn't mute it. I've got a head like a ping pong ball. I've got a head like a ping pong ball. I've got a head like a ping pong ball. Ping like a ping pong ball. <laughs>